Good morning. Today's reading is Ecclesiastes 12, verses 1 to 8. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Let us join in prayer. Heavenly Father, Sovereign Lord, hear our prayer for guidance. Let your Holy Spirit enter our hearts in abundance and reveal your presence in our pastor's message today. We ask that you bless Pastor Eric with the gift of sharing your word as Jesus did as the Son of Man. May we always rejoice in your word and walk with you each day forever. Thank you, Father, for all your blessings. Let us recognize that it is only through the suffering and death of your precious Son, Jesus, that we can live eternally with you in glory. Let us not forget that we are instruments of you and are to go forward only and always in your name. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Some of you may recognize that uh, brief clip uh, from the 2003 uh, Disney uh, Pixar movie, uh, Finding Nemo. And in that film, we finally get to hear what seagulls are saying when they squawk. Mine, 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 mine. Uh, we've all seen uh, the seagulls on the Ocean City boardwalk stealing pizza and ice cream cones, and so... I kind of believe that's really what they're saying. Um, to them, everything is mine. 
Uh, but let's face it, it's not just the seagulls. Uh, you see it with little kids as well. A toddler doesn't care anything about the toy until someone else is playing with it. And uh, then they say, mine. But if we're going to be honest, it's really all of us as well. Uh, we want what we do not have, and what we have we want to treat as though it belongs to us. It is mine. But an implication of our passage this morning, I hope we'll see, is that it reminds us that nothing really belongs to us. Nothing is mine. God, who is the creator, has a claim on everything. It all belongs to him. Verse 1, so then, remember your creator in your youth. The preacher directs it to the young, but it's really intended for us all. It flows out of the very theme of the book of Ecclesiastes, which is to live in the reality that God is real. Live in light of eternity. And so with that theme in mind, the preacher says, remember your creator, the one who made you as you are. He has given you gifts, energy, opportunities, and he is the one to whom you will one day give an account. Remember your creator. Notice that the preacher doesn't say, remember God. Or remember your Redeemer, which he could have. He says, remember your Creator. The, the preacher reminds us that our God and Redeemer is the Creator of everything that exists. Everything in heaven and earth, seen and unseen, has come into existence by the word of our Creator God. Remember your Creator tells us that all of life, each relationship, everything we think is mine actually belongs to Him. It's called the Creator-Creator the distinction. Nothing is mine and reality is defined not by me, but by Him. The Creator uh, makes reality what it is by virtue of creation. Since He is Creator, only He can tell us who we are, and how we are to think, and how we are to live. Remember, your Creator is, is built on the presupposition that the creation is good and to be enjoyed uh, by those made 
in God's image. Remember, your creator hearkens back to the creation of account of Genesis 1 and 2, where, uh, if you remember, there's a certain rhythm to the passage. God uh, creates, he declares it good, there is evening and morning the first day. God creates, he declares it good, there's evening and morning the second day. That rhythm continues until the culmination of the creation on day six. God creates everything out of nothing. And on day six, God says, let us make man in our image. And he created them male and female. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Created in God's image, we were intended to reflect God's good character and his rule over the rest of creation. God is righteous, good, and loving. And so his intent was for us always to be righteous, good, and, and loving. The creation is not ours to do with as we will. It belongs to the Creator God, and, and we are simply stewards of it. As image bearers, those called to reflect God's image, God defines our identity and our responsibility to the creation in relationship with himself. We needed God to tell us who we are and how we are to live. We needed truth outside of ourselves. God's interpretation of reality as the creator to make sense of ourselves and of our world. Nothing in this world is mine. It all belongs to our Creator God, who tells us who we are, image bearers. And He tells us what we are to do. We are to govern the creation under the rule of God. To remember your Creator is to embrace that creational identity and responsibility so that it shapes how we live life day by day. All of life, each relationship, everything we possess, all that we have and think that it's mine comes from and is defined by God. The New Testament makes clear that the creator and sustainer of the creation is none other than the eternal Son, the second person of the Trinity, who took on flesh. Jesus is the Word who spoke the creation into existence. 
Again, echoing uh, Genesis 1, uh, the Apostle John in his Gospel, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, the pre-incarnate Christ. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus creates and he sustains the creation. In Hebrews 1.3, we're told that uh, Christ upholds the universe by the word of his power. Even as Jesus was in the flesh, in his human nature, limited to a particular time and place in his divine nature as creator and sustainer God, somehow he was still in the heavens holding the creation together. Remember your creator is to remember that your redeemer is the redeemer creator because it is Christ himself. A well-known quote by uh, Abraham Kuyper. Kuyper was the uh, prime minister of the Netherlands from 1901 to 1905. And he once said this, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. There is not a square inch of the creation over which Christ, who created and sustains it, does not cry, that is mine. It all belongs to him. We think that we have the ability and the right to interpret reality, to use anything and everything however we choose. But Christ is the one who made heaven and earth and everything in it. And so he has the ability and the right to interpret it, to define it, to tell us how to use it, to tell us who we are and how we're to live. And that includes all that you possess, all your relationships, your very life and breath. It is all Christ. Tim Keller was pastor of uh, Redeemer Presbyterian in Manhattan until he retired this past uh, June, or he stepped down from the main preaching at that church, and he once said, Christ is the origin and destiny of every object you have ever seen every person you ever heard or encountered, and every idea that you have ever contemplated. Without his express, immediate, and personal sustaining this very instant, the objects you see right in front of you would cease to exist. He is the past the present and the future of everyone and everything you will ever touch, see, hear, smell, or taste, and of many more that you will never know existed. 
Think about it this way. And this, for me, is a little mind-boggling. There are billions of stars in our Milky Way galaxy. And there are millions of galaxies in our universe. I've read that a number of times, and every time I read it, and every time I say it, I think somehow that's got to be a mistake. That just seems unbelievable. Billions of stars in our galaxies, and millions of galaxies in our universe. And the eternal sun knows it all, because he created it all. He knows each star, each planet, every grain of sand, every molecule, and every atom. He knows them intimately because he created them, and at this very moment they exist because he sustains them. And he says... All of that is mine. And that same eternal Son who created all those stars and planets and knows them intimately, He knows you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows the day that you were born. And the day you will die. He knows your public persona. And he also knows who you really are when you're all alone. He knows everything you do and say, what you think and desire. He knows your hopes and his dreams for you. He is the one who took on not only flesh, but he took on our sin. Because he knew it separated us from God. And then he died in our place so that we might live with him forever. Remember, your creator is a call to know the one who remembers you. To live for the one who died for you. And when we place our faith in what Christ has accomplished, we are united to him in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. We are seated with Christ in glory today as he rules the creation. And so we can say, I am His. And paradoxically, He is mine. Because I am a member of His bride and His body, the church. We belong together. I have been set free from the guilt and bondage of sin so I can now live in obedience to my Creator, Redeemer God. I now live for the glory of Christ in accordance to His interpretation of reality as He created everything to be. 
In Colossians 1.16, Paul says, For in Christ all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. All things were created for Christ and through Christ. He is the creator, he is the sustainer, he is the source of the creation, and he is the goal of the creation. All things were made to serve his purpose. Humanity, you and I, were created to exalt God's glory manifested in Christ. The, the first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Creation and human history is going somewhere. It has a purpose. It's directed to and for the glory of Christ. The goal of creation is manifested in the enjoyment of God's people as they worship Him forever. In Revelation 7, we're presented with this picture of the redeemed humanity surrounding the throne of God Worshiping God and the Lamb in the new creation. It is a perfected reality where the church, as the bride of Christ, is also the temple of the living God. God dwelling among His people as they worship together the consummated glory of the enthroned and exalted Christ. That is the Creator's purpose for His creation. And through our faith union with Christ, that is where God is taking us. Remember, your Creator presupposes a good creation that is meant to be enjoyed within God-given boundaries. Genesis 2 tells us that God placed Adam in the garden and he says, eat of any and every tree in the garden except one. Enjoy the garden. Live in the garden. But I have one prohibition. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of it, you will die. The Creator God gave the whole of the creation to humanity to be enjoyed, but with one restriction don't eat of one tree. 
The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was to be the means by which God would teach humanity creaturely humility. To listen to God's voice and to obey what he says. Creation belongs to God. He interprets reality for us. The tree of the knowledge tested our faithfulness to accept God's interpretation of reality. God created us with a law to obey. Not to rain on our parade, but for our good so that we functioned within his creation the way he intended. It was for our good and for his glory. God's law, his restrictions are never meant to limit our fun, but to give us enjoyment in the creation as he designed it to be. Even as Christians, sometimes we have negative views about God's commandments. We think they limit us. But hear what the psalmist says. Blessed is the man, this is Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Do you delight in God's commands? Do you delight in what he tells you to do and how to live? Do you delight in his law? Psalm 19 tells us that the law of the Lord is perfect and sure. It is simple and right, pure and clean. It is better than gold. We think that's just hyperbole. God is saying, my law is better than gold. It is sweeter than honey. It is a warning and has rewards for those who keep it. Remember, your creator reminds us that God defines and interprets reality, and therefore, everything matters. If God created this world in a particular way, to, and he created us to live in this world in particular ways. That means everything he created, he knows about, and he knows how we're to use it. And he cares about how we live everything in life. He, everything matters to God. God has given us the creation to be enjoyed, but to be enjoyed within God-given boundaries. Let's think of just a, a couple of examples. God cares about how we eat and drink. We don't have to abstain from certain food or drinks, thinking that makes us more godly. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. The glory of God, as we keep that in our mind, helps us from abusing God's good gifts of food and drink. If we drink and eat for the glory of God, then we won't do it to excess. 
We will love God, the giver of the gifts, more than the gift itself. And so we will receive it and eat and drink to the glory of God. The glory of God will keep us from insisting on our freedom. Over against causing a brother and sister in Christ to stumble. We will recognize that the glory of God calls us to love our neighbor and to do good for them. And so we will be careful about what we eat and drink around them. Not wanting to tempt them to sin. God cares about what we eat and how we eat and drink. God cares about our sex life. Hebrews 13.4, keep the marriage bed undefiled. Sex is a gift from God to be enjoyed within God's boundaries. It is to be enjoyed between one man and one woman within the covenant of marriage as the fruit of their oneness. It is God who makes a husband and wife one. He unites them together. Sex is simply an expression of that intimacy, not primarily its cause. And so, if you misuse sex, if you misuse God's gift, it will cause you harm. Sex outside of marriage will give you a feeling of intimacy for a moment. But it will turn bitter in your heart because it's a misuse of God's gift. Outside of marriage, sex will undermine trust in your relationship as the heaviness of God's conviction weighs you down. So what's the answer? Confess and turn from sin. Acknowledge the lust in your heart and ask God to forgive you and to change you. And stop putting yourselves in situations where you know you shouldn't be. And stop using your body to gather attention. God cares about how we eat and drink. He cares about our sex life. God cares about how we do our job. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whether you, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Remember your creator is a call for us to do everything to the glory of God because everything matters to our creator God. Food, drink, sex, work, time off, how we approach sleep, how we think about all of these things and everything in between matters to God. He created them all, he defines them, and he gives them for our enjoyment, 
but with certain boundaries for our good. All things were created through and for Christ, and they each exist for His glory's sake. Remember your creator in your youth. Uh, Remember your creator is for us all, but why does the preacher direct it specifically in our text to the youth? Well, uh, chapter 12, verse 1 flows out of uh, what the preacher says in 11.9, the chapter before. He says, rejoice, young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Enjoy life, but know that there is a day coming when you will stand before God and you will give an account for your life. And so let that eternal reality shape how you live here and now. Remember your Creator is for all of us, but He directs it particularly to the young because the young are so prone to forget it. There will be a judgment someday. You're not going to live forever. Yeah, yeah, sure. That seems so far away. The young think they will live forever. But doesn't life go by quickly? Uh, Jennifer and I were in the car this week, and the, and the car radio was on, and there was some uh, 80s music playing. And then uh, the, the station identified itself as playing the classic hits of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And Jennifer said, when did the 80s become oldies music? Now... I was in high school and college in the 80s, and so I, I, I agreed with her. Right? Somehow that just doesn't make sense to me. I don't know. But then I realized, I thought about it, and, and I realized that uh, next year I will have my 35th high school reunion. When I graduated high school, the people that were born that year are 35 today. They're not kids, they're adults with families and jobs. How? When I turned 50, it didn't bother me. But then I realized that my uh, oldest Brother Warren had turned 60. How could I have a brother who's 60? (laughs) He's 63 now. 
In two years, he'll be qualified for Medicare. Even as I say it, how can I have a brother qualified for Medicare? Remember your creator in your youth because the days will go by quickly. And there will be a day when you stand before God's throne. The seeker, the preacher seeks to press this reality home by a, a series of poetic vignettes referencing old age in verses 2 to 7. In verse 2, he compares the troubles of old age to a gathering storm. The light of the sun, the moon, and the stars are, are darkened. That sort of language is reminiscent of apocalyptic language in the, in the prophets. The idea that the, the world is ending. And it is. Your world is ending. Verse 3 compares an elderly person to a decaying house. The arms tremble, the legs are bent with age, the grinders are teeth if there are any left. Eyes, cataracts, or other uh, ways of loss of vision. I don't even bother reading prescription bottles anymore. I just hand them to Jennifer. What does this say? Verse 4, the, the shut doors are the ears that have, that have become hard of hearing. Verse 5, the grasshopper who normally hops, is uh, uh, dragging itself along the ground. It's close to the end. Unless we die young or Christ returns first, what's described in these verses is going to happen to each of us. This old house will fall into ruin, so remember your Creator in the days of your youth, because, verse 7, just as the dust returns to earth, so our spirit will one day return to God. That same fate awaits us all. It's not a question of if, just when. You might have years, but it could be just a matter of days. God has not promised you a tomorrow. And so his word tells us today, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Remember your creator because death is coming. And it may be here sooner than you think. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Remember your creator. So what do we do with that? How should we each respond to that counsel from the preacher? Are you young? Youngish? Do you wish you were young? If you are still breathing, <laughs> heed 
God's word. Remember your creator. Live in light of eternity. Acknowledge that life belongs to another and live for him. Don't live to please those around you. I understand the pressure of being young. The uh, peer pressure, wanting to be accepted, wanting to be included. Don't live to please those people. Live to please the one to whom you will give an account. Lead others by your example. Be countercultural. Seek first the kingdom of Christ and his righteousness. See your gifts and your abilities as a stewardship from God. And use the time that he has given you for his glory's sake. I have lots of regrets in life. Less than some, more than others. But at this point in my life, my regrets are over wasted time and opportunities that I let pass me by. There were many things that I gave my attention to because I thought they were important. But now I realize that they were vanity and chasing after wind. Grow in your relationship with God and the people of God. Commit yourself. I commend those who became members. They're they're standing up and saying, I want to be accountable. I know I'm not called to live this Christian life by myself, and I am committing myself to this church and these people. Live in community with one another. You will grow better in community than you will by yourself. Be part of a community fellowship. Join a growth group. Just find a couple other people. I I can think of a a group of women. Uh, It's not something formal. It's nothing that's advertised here. On their own, they just get together to study God's word and pray for each other. If you're 18 to say 28... Every other week, I have four to about 12 people who come to my house and have uh, dinner. I cook, and we do a Bible study together. Because I I want to challenge our young people to be serious about God's Word, and I want them to build relationship with each other because they need one another. Be part of that. In fact, it's called Next. It it will meet this Friday, 6 o'clock. Are you older? Perhaps thinking of yourself as young is long past. Do you think it's too late? It's never too late. The command is the same to you. Remember your creator. Each day is new and you have the rest of your life to live for Christ. I have a friend, Ed, uh, who lives in Philadelphia, uh, he uh, uh, came to faith when he was in his 60s. And sometimes we would talk, and he wondered why uh, God didn't open his eyes sooner. He thinks of the first 60-plus years of his life, and he sees all the sin and the waste. But then he realizes that uh, 
God has purpose in all that he does. And so he trusts him in that. And Ed is 90 now. And he's still using his life. He's still growing. He's still learning. He goes to the Whosoever Gospel Mission, which is in a bad part of Philadelphia, uh, to teach a class to men. He does the same thing in the prison every week. If you're an older Christian, mentor younger Christians. Help them to navigate life to avoid some of the mistakes that you have made. If you're older, maybe you don't serve in the ways that you used to. Maybe you can't find ways to serve in the local church. To give an example of what it looks like to serve Christ in his body. Leave a legacy of godliness to the end of your life. Parents, teach your children to remember their creator. Show them by your life that your devotional life and that Christ and his church are important to you. Live in biblical community as a model of what the Christian life should look like. And do not forsake your responsibility to disciple your children. Parents, do not leave it to Sunday school or the Christian school to disciple your kids. Sunday school, ACS, they, they can come alongside and reinforce what they're getting at home. But you teaching your children is the most important thing that you can do for them. I know if your kids are teenagers today, it doesn't feel as though they're listening and they're fighting you every step. And their friends, their friends are more important to them right now. But long term, when they're adults, they will realize no one has had the influence on me like my parents. Are you using that influence to lead them to Christ, to remember their creator? I'll end with just this quote. This is from Phil Riken. Riken was a pastor of 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia. He is now uh, president of Wheaton College. And he says this, Remember your creator because he remembers you. The God who made you rejoices that he made you just the way you are. He celebrates the gifts he has given you and the ways those gifts have developed and the purpose he has for you in life. Your Savior remembers you. He has been thinking about you since eternity past. He had you in mind when he went to the cross when he came up from the grave and when he ascended to glory. He has been watching over you every day of your life. He has promised to remember you when he comes into his kingdom. And he will not lose track of you, but will raise you up to everlasting life. Will you pray with me? Our Father, this morning we, we acknowledge that there is nothing new, there is nothing original that was said this morning. What we heard, we've heard a hundred times. But Father, today, may your Spirit take your Word and let it pierce our heart that we see our life in its fullness before you. And that we would seek to love and to and to serve and to please you all the days of our life, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.